text before us is Romans 8, verses 32 through 37, but we will, um, we, we will spend our time this morning in, primarily in verse 32. Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or, or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The text before us is one of the most powerful texts in all of Scripture. Specifically, the verse before us, one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. You see that in this chapter, in the, as, as we've been going through for the last several weeks, we have we have seen that the Holy Spirit is working through the Apostle Paul to bring us to a place of, of finding our security in Christ. He doesn't want us to be in a place where our view of God is small or we think that it all is dependent upon us. He wants us to see him as almighty, him as sovereign, him who is good, him who holds all things together and not us. And so we, we, we look at this particular chapter of these sections of Scripture, and um, it delights our hearts. It, it brings incredible peace to us. For, for me, studying this has, has been just an incredible blessing to me. You, you see that he makes a statement in, in Romans 8.28 where he says, And we know that that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. A, a statement that every one of us can hear and just have it do something to our hearts to, as far as, okay, I, I've had this circumstance in my life or that circumstance or I'm, I'm so afraid that this is going to happen. And, and looking at all of the things that we have no control over in this world and then to be able to look and see in Scripture a sovereign God who says, we know for you believers, you can know this. You can know that all things will work together for good. That they do. For those who are the called. For those who are his people. For those who have been called according, according to his purpose. We know that all things work together for good. And then he, he shifts, as we looked at last week, immediately into verse 29 where he says, here's the reason why you know that all things work together for good because those that he foreknew, he also predestined. And those that he predestined, he um, goes on and, and, and he says, these he called. And those that he called, these he also justified. And those he justified, these he also glorified. We know that all things work together for good because he foreknew us, he predestined us, he called us, he justified us, and he also glorified us. It's something that will certainly happen. 
And we look at this and we think, okay, so I know that everything in my life will work together for good, even in a sinful world, even when tornadoes go through, even when cancer exists, even when death comes unexpectedly to loved ones. I, I can know that all things will work together for good for me because I am the called. Because I am one who, who, who has been foreknown by God and predestined to salvation, called by him, justified by him, will be glorified by him. It has happened as far as you could be absolutely sure that you will spend eternity in glory. And it, we know this. And so he's creating an argument here that should make us come to a place of just having an incredible view of God, even in the midst of incredible suffering, to be able to look and say, I don't understand this, I don't get it, I don't know why this has happened, but I know that, I know that you're good, God, and I know that you're sovereign. I know that there's not a bird that falls to the ground apart from your will, and I know that if you foreknew me and predestined me even before the foundations of this world, if you are the one that called me to salvation, and you tell me that you justify me. You make it so that my sins are, are removed. It's replaced with Christ's righteousness. That you tell me that this has happened. And you tell me that I will be glorified as far as for all eternity with you in heaven. I know that all things will work together for good. If, if this life is, is like a, a vapor. It appears for a little while and vanishes away. But, but you have sovereign purposes to do the things that you desire to do for the purpose of your glory. I trust you, even when I look at it and it doesn't make sense, even when I look at it and, and I can't wrap my mind around as far as why this, why me, my life has not turned out the way that I wanted to turn out, but this is what things look like for me. God, you're sovereign. You know these things. You decree things to take place, and I trust you. Before you ever created the world, you knew me. You're intimately involved with my with my life and, and, and what you were going to do in me as you created me, as you formed me in my mother's womb, you, you knew all things and you predestined me to come to salvation. And you look at this and it, it, it makes us so, so small, doesn't it? It, it, it? As far as anybody that, that looks at themselves and thinks, man, it, it all depends upon me. Whether I can do this, whether I can endure whether i can keep my salvation it, it just it's the death blow to any kind of thinking like that where you look at it and you say no he, it's him that foreknew you it's him that predestined you it's him that called you it's him that justified you all of it is centered upon him and then and then in verse 31 he says what what shall we say to these things if god's for us who could be against us how should all these things make us think man if, if he's for me who could be against me? I mean, I have my flesh, there's the world, there's Satan, there's principalities and powers, but if, if God's for me, I'm not afraid of any of that. I mean, if he foreknew me and predestined me and called me to salvation and he's justified me, if he's given me the guarantee of glory, if he's for me, who could be against me? You find him feeling so safe and wanting the church to look at it and say, this is your salvation. This is what God has done. And then we come to verse 32. And we see the next part of this argument. 
He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And we're going to look at this argument here. It's God who, the Father who did not spare his own son. It's, it's him that delivered him up for us all. It, it brings us to a place of looking at what took place on the cross. And brothers and sisters, to, to have a proper understanding of what took place on the cross will change everything as far as our way of, of thinking in this world. You look in scripture and you see what took place on the cross. We, we see the account of, of, of Jesus and, and, and him living his life and, and foretelling that, that he would die and that he would rise again. But looking at it and seeing all the things that would take place, we look at the betrayal of Judas. We look at him being brought before, before Pilate. We look at the Jews saying, give us Barabbas. We see all of these things taking place. We see the Romans crucifying him. But ultimately, we see that God did not spare his own son. We ultimately, we see that it is God the Father who delivered him up for us all. It wasn't a tragedy that took place as far as something where, well, who's, who killed Jesus? Whose fault was it that, that Jesus got killed? Was it the Jews? Was it the Romans? I mean, you see people where divisions have taken place where, where people say, well, the Jews, those are the ones that killed Jesus. Or, or, no, no, it wasn't them. It was the Romans that did it. And we look at it, and ultimately God did it. For us to have an understanding that man did the things that they did, and it was wicked. But God did it. You see in Acts 2, I'm going to read a few passages to you, but in, in Acts 2... You see the sermon going forward where it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. God determined it. God determined that Christ would go to the cross. You see in Acts 4 where it goes on, it says, The kings of the earth took their stand, and rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and purpose determined before to be done. These guys did this stuff, but they did whatever God the Father's hand and his purpose determined beforehand to be done radical you look at what takes place on the cross and it was determined that that would take place these guys did their things they were wicked they're held accountable for it but the bottom line is they are only doing those things which god determined beforehand would be done it wasn't an accident it wasn't a tragedy it wasn't a last resort it wasn't anything like that it was determined by god that this would take place Turn with me to, to John chapter 19, if you would, for a moment, to verse 1. 
John 19, verse 1. It tells us here that, that Pilate took Jesus and he scourged him. Okay, so there's this whipping that takes place with the cat of nine tails. Tearing his, his flesh from his back, coming around his chest. I mean, just complete brutality. The, the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They put a purple robe on him, just mocking his, his royalty, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, as they pound this, this crown of thorns upon his head. They struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. And Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and, and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him. I find no fault in him. And the Jews answered, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. And therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and he went again into the praetorium and, and said to Jesus, Where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. And then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Pilate thought he was so big. Are you not going to answer me? Do you have any idea who I am? I have the power to crucify you or I have the power to release you. You're not going to answer me? And Jesus answered and he says, you have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. You have no power at all. You, you could not do anything to me unless it was given to you from above. There's no question as far as during this time of the crucifixion, as far as who was in control. He, the father, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. There is an argument that is being made here, and the Holy Spirit wants us to understand that what took place on the cross was, was something that, that is unlike anything in the history of this universe. What, what took place on the cross should bring shock to us as far as the character of our God. He, he didn't spare his own son, his own son. He wants us to understand the magnitude of that. He who did not spare his own son. If, if you turn to John 17, verse 20. You see in this prayer of Christ to the Father, this incredible love between the Father and the Son in John 17, verse 20, Jesus says, I, I, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they 
also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me in. And the glory which you gave me I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may be made perfect in one. That the world may know that you sent me. And you love them as you loved me. Notice those words. You love them as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. You hear him say it over and over again. You love me. There's a love. It's been there from before the foundations of this world. You love me. This relationship that's there between the father and son that is the most incredible relationship imaginable. A love that is there that is greater than any love that any one of us could ever have for one of our children. A perfect father, a perfect son, existing from all eternity together. Relationship that's there where they just delight in the glory of one another. They delight in one another. There's this incredible relationship that's there that we will behold for all eternity as we see it. But we just hear a prayer. You love them with the same love which you've loved me. And... You see it throughout all scripture. In Isaiah 42, verse 1, he says, Behold, my servant, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights, the Father says. In reference to Christ, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul just delights. My soul delights in the Son. The Father's soul just delights in Christ. You see, the love that God the Father has for God the Son. In 1 John 4, 9, in this is the love, of, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. It's something that ought to bring shock to us. God sent his only begotten Son. First John 4.10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's something that just displays God's love for us, a love that would send his son. You see it in scripture where Jesus is, is there at the, the baptism and a voice comes down from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Or the transfiguration in Matthew 17, verse 5, where there's this bright cloud that overshadows them and suddenly a voice comes out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Hear him. There's this relationship that's there that is as sweet as it could ever possibly be. And then we read a verse like, he who did not spare his own son. He didn't spare his own son. But he delivered him up for us all. 
he gave him and delivered him up to us all, for us all. In, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You look at what's taking place on the, on the cross, and something that is, is no small thing at all. That this isn't something that's just according to the predetermined plan of God where this is going to be easy. There's something radical taking place here. I mean, you, you see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and he asks the disciples to pray, to watch and to pray. And he's in anguish even to the point of death to, to where he's sweating drops of blood. If it's possible from this cup to be taken from me, let me so. No, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And, and you see drops of blood coming from him as far as the anguish of, he knows what's around the corner. He knows that he's going and he's going to die. He's going to, to Calvary. He's going to Jerusalem where he will die and rise again from the dead. But he knows that the full weight of our sin is going to come upon him. And the anguish that's there is bringing him even to the point of death where he's just sweating drops of blood. You look in 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive by the Spirit. It's not just that he gave us his son, but he gave us the just for the unjust. He gave him to us. It wasn't that, that he had to. We look in our text for this morning and it, it tells us, How shall he not... With him also freely give us all things. But he freely gave us his son with no obligation. It wasn't that we earned it. It wasn't that we deserved it. It wasn't that he had to. You look at it and we see the heart of God the Father to give us his son, the just for the unjust, so that he could take all of our sin upon himself. He delivered him up for us all. What does, that, what does that mean? I mean, you look in Isaiah 53 goes through and, and, and talks about how he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He's put him to grief. And when you make his soul an offering for sin, you shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. You look and in, in. he's on the cross and he's bearing our sin upon himself. You look at it and you look at what's taking place on the cross and it's my sin, your sin, the sin that is so grievous to a holy God that it would send you to eternity in hell. The, the weight of the sin that is so great upon you that it would just crush you. The sin that, that, that's so great that he would 
justly send you to a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth where the fire isn't quenched, where the worm cannot die, black as darkness, away from the glory of God, outer darkness, unquenchable fire for all eternity. We, we, we start looking at things and, and say, how could, how could God send people to hell? When you say something like that, it, it shows that your theology is very poor as far as what your sin is like and what a holy God is like. Because you go through scripture and it is not where it's just, well, we've kind of messed up. You, you hear people say things like, ah, he's a good person, but he's not a believer, but he's a good person. And there are people who are better than others, but there's none that are good. Not even one. And so you start to look at it and you see our sin. You see the weight of our sin and it would just crush us. It would, it would destroy us. It would make it so that we would spend eternity in hell and be without excuse, Roman tells us. Without excuse. Our, our mouths would be, be shut for all eternity. Never will the day come where it's like, well, I don't deserve this. We deserved it all. And this wrath that was to be placed upon us, he took upon himself on the cross. There, hanging on the cross with the crown of thorns on his head and, and naked and pierced with his hands and his feet, whipped 39 times with a can of nine tails, beaten, punched, his beard plucked out, all of these things taking place. And then what is even more is the wrath that you and I deserved being placed upon him. On the cross. Look with me at at Psalm 22 for a moment. You see here in the psalm where it begins in verse 1 by saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning, and it is a prophecy that's going ahead to what would take place on the cross and the very words of Christ upon the cross as the weight of all of our sin is placed upon him. As he's delivering him up for us all, and our sin has been placed upon him. Our eternity in hell has been placed upon him. All the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God has been placed upon him so that you and I would never have to experience it And You see in verse 6 where he says, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But but you are he who, who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while I was in my mother's breast. Was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have... Then, my God, be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, all my bones are out of joint, my heart is like wax, it has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and and my tongue clings to my jaws, you have Brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me and divide my garments among them, for my clothing 
they cast lots. I mean, it's just going through and describing in Psalm 22 through David exactly what would take place on the cross. And you look at it and he delivered him up for us all freely, not because we deserved it. Look at who it is that is there at the cross. I mean, he's looking at it and he's saying, they, they ridicule me, they shoot out the lip, they shake their head, they, they're there and they, they, they are gaping at me with their mouths like a, a raging and, and roaring lion. Giving details there as far as he's there hanging on the cross, he's saying, my bones are out of joint. My heart's like wax, it's melted within me. My tongue, it just clings to my jaws. These dogs, they've surrounded me. They've enclosed me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. I can, I can just look down. I can count all of my bones. They're just staring at me. He's hanging there on the cross. They're just staring at me. They're there. I've taken my garments. They're, they're casting lots for my garments. And you look at this and it's God delivering him up for us. All of this stuff happening. All of these things happening. A crucifixion that is as brutal as you could ever imagine. And God the Father knowing that he was going to send his son to experience this. God knowing that he was going to send his son, his only begotten son, whom he loves. Whom he's had intimate fellowship with for all eternity. And he's going to send him the creator of all that exists. The one in whom just shines brilliantly with glory at the transfiguration. You see God the Father let just the, the, a portion of the glory of God shine out to where they look. And, and, and they're just amazed and burying themselves to the ground as far as the glory of Christ. And God the Father knowing that he's going to send him to experience this. Not only experience this, not only experience crucifixion, but to experience all the wrath of a sovereign, holy, righteous God to be placed upon his son for us who didn't deserve it at all. And you look at this in... You see that without a doubt, he became a curse for us. You... You see in Philippians 2.8, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It emphasizes it as far as the worst death imaginable, even the death of the cross. And so as we look at this passage in Romans chapter 8, it had just said, if God is for us, who could be against us? And then it goes from there, he said, he who did not spare his own son. It's supposed to create shock value to us. He who did not spare his own son. You have Abraham and Isaac, and, and what happens with Abraham and Isaac? God says, God has provided himself a lamb. There's a ram there in the thicket. God's made a way. Abraham stopped. And yet, with Christ there, all of that with Abraham and Isaac is just pointing to the fact that there would come a day when nobody would say stop. That God delivered his son up for us all. 
The creator of the universe humbled himself and became a man, became obedient, even to the point of death, even the death of the cross, so that we would look at that and say, he paid it all for me. If he, if he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he, not with him, also freely give us all things? There's an argument that's taking place here as far as if he did the greatest thing imaginable, why would he not do the lesser? I mean, if, if he gave us his son, why would he not keep you from temptation? Why would he not make a way of escape? Why would he not give you rest if you ask for it or peace for your soul? Why would he not enable you to endure trials and tribulations? Why would he not gift you to minister to the body of Christ? Why would he not equip you to love your wives as Christ has loved the church? Why would he not equip you to love one another, to forgive one another? Why would he not provide for your food or for your drink or for your shelter? I mean, if, if he gave us his son, why would he not keep you to the end? You look at it and it's just, we know that all things work together for good to those who are the called. To those who love him, we know it. When I hear people say you could lose your salvation, there's someone that could be called by God, regenerated, made a new creation in Christ, all their sins are removed and it's replaced with Christ's righteousness. But you could lose that. I look at it and I think, you have no idea what took place on the cross. I mean, if he... If he foreknew you and predestined you and called you and he justified you, he tells us he's going to glorify you and he did this. He he did this and, and he took all the weight of your sin upon himself as he hung there on the cross. All the wrath that you deserved, he, he took it upon himself. If he gave you his son to take all the wrath upon himself on the cross... It made you a new creation. Why wouldn't he do the lesser thing and keep you to the end? He doesn't even have to send his son again to die for you. It already happened. Why would he not equip you? Why would he not mold you and shape you and conform you into the image of Christ? Why would he not bless you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ? Why would he not allow you to enter into the joy of the Lord? Fullness of joy at his right hand, pleasures forevermore. Why would he not cause all things to work together for good for you? For the rest of your life, why would he not cause all things to work together for good if he gave you his son? If he did the greater, why would he not do the lesser? 
And we need to understand the greater, the greater is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's just this radical thing that's taken place. The creator of the universe, the Godhead from all eternity in perfect union and a perfect love for one another, he gave his son. If he did that, why would he not also freely give you all things? And so when the enemy comes at you and says, man, God's through with you. God's, he's lost his patience with you. He's tired of you. He's given up on you. You can never get over this. He's not going to give you the strength to get through this. He's not going to give you the ability to love your wife like that or to love your husband like that. He's not going to give you the ability to remain in a place of singleness and just to trust him. He's not going to give you the ability to glorify him in that place of singleness and just being happy with this is what God's done and he's done it for his glory. He's gifted me with this for his glory. When someone's there like, God may not bring me someone who's perfect, who's a Christian and who I want to marry. So I'm just going to compromise and I'm just going to do this because... He may never bring that person. If, if God gave you his son, wouldn't he also be there to love you and to bless you and to minister to you and to care for you and provide for you everything that you need? If he's done the greatest, wouldn't he do the lesser? And so when the enemy comes at us and says, it's not enough, you haven't done enough, and brings it all back to you, we need to, we need to look and say, he gave me his son. He did the greater. Why would he not also do the lesser? God foreknew you. He predestined you. Before he ever created the earth, he predestined you. He called you with a holy calling. He justified you glorified you. If he's for us, who could be against us? And then we look at him and we say, what's the proof of that? Paul could have said, because God's love. That's not what he says. He could have said, because God's unchanging. That's not what he says. Because God's faithful. That's not what he says. He says, he, he who did not spare his own son, the weight of that, he did not spare his son. He did the greatest thing in the history of this universe. He did not spare his son, but he delivered him up for us all. He did it. Pilate could not have done anything unless it was granted to him by the Father. Herod could not have done anything unless it was granted to him by the Father. Those guys that were yelling at, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas. Those guys that drove the nails through his hands or the nail through his feet, mocked him, spit upon him. They could not have done any of that unless God the Father did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. And we look at the crucifixion and we look at the glory that took place there 
And it brings us to a place of, Lord, help it to bring us to a place of security. Will he not also with him freely give us all things? Yeah, he's going to bless us. He's not going to withhold anything good for you. If he gave you his son, we look at that and it made me worship this week as I was studying that. I hope it does for you as well. The weight of it. He gave us his son. He took all of our sins upon himself. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I hold you in my hand. The Father who's greater than all holds you in his hand. There's no one that can snatch you away. Of all that the Father has given me, I'll lose none of them. I began a good work in you, and I'll be faithful to complete it. I'm the author, and I'm the finisher of your faith. I gave you my son. Therefore, be assured, brothers and sisters, all things will work together for good for you. If I did not spare my own son, but delivered him up for you all, how will I not also with you give you freely, joyfully, Freely, not because you deserved it, but freely give you all things. If I gave you the greatest gift, won't I give you the lesser? If I gave you the gift that made my son say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As all of your sin went upon him, won't I give you the lesser and keep you? and work all things together for good for you and provide for you and love you to the very end and you'll enter into glory of what I've accomplished for you. And for all eternity, you'll praise the Son. For all eternity, you'll look at it and say, not to us, not to us, but to him be the glory. Not unto us, not unto us, but to, to him be the glory. He didn't spare his Son for us. May that stir within the hearts of us, God's people, worship. The greatest gift. I think of how many people I see wear crosses. This is jewelry, a tattoo. But you look at their lives and there's no sign of any kind of fruit in their lives that they're believers. And then you, you take God's people and the, the cross is the most precious thing in the universe to us as far as what Christ the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords accomplished for us. May, may, we, may we not approach worship or think upon the crucifixion as something light or flippant, but may we understand the weight of it. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all.
And I pray that that understanding of what took place on the cross would change the way that we live in this life. If he did the greatest, oh, for sure he'll do the lesser. And he will freely give us all things. It doesn't mean we're all going to be rich and it doesn't mean we're all going to be perfect health-wise. But it does mean that he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. And it does mean that he'll give you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And it does mean that he will withhold no good thing from you. He'll minister to you in the times of trials. He'll mold you and form you into his image. He'll hold you when you're weeping. And there will be a day where he will complete the work that he began in you. He'll be faithful to do it. He did the greatest. God gives us great confidence here. Won't he also do the lesser? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, what a passage before us. You make promises to us like, we know that all things work together for good. But then, by the sweet ministry of your Holy Spirit and the inspiration of your word, you show us it. You gave us your son. God, Father, we, we were undeserving and you gave us your son. You gave us your son. May we joyfully live for you and worship you and honor you and trust you and depend upon you and hope in you. And have a peace that comes from you for all eternity. Because you gave us your son. You did not spare your own son, but delivered him up for us all. May that give us such great confidence that you will how much more freely give us all things. May our view of you be lifted to a place of just heartfelt exaltation and praise, worship. That you so loved us that you gave us your son. That whosoever would believe in you would not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody who's come into our church this morning who does not yet know you, that today would be the day that they hope not in their own accomplishments, but they hope solely in the work of Christ Jesus our Lord upon the cross. Your death for our sins perfection of you that gives us righteousness 
that we would not have to hope in ourselves. And may today be the day that they ask for forgiveness and they leave this place saying not unto us, not unto us, but to him be the glory. It is you, Lord, who saves. May that cause incredible fruit to come from our hearts and from our lives as we worship you. Thank you, God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.